When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast, episode 75 coming to you this week. It's bowl season, folks. We got uh, college football bowl season kicking off in earnest this weekend. We got eight MAC teams participating in bowl games this year, a, uh, a league record. We love to see that many MAC teams in, in bowls. I was, you know, we were talking before we started recording here. It used to be, think back, you know, 10 years or so, you get two or three MAC teams in a bowl game. We got eight of them this year. So a lot to get to here tonight. Got a special guest with us, Pinch Hitton. Uh, Steve unable to join us this week. So we have our uh, Hustle Belt creative director, James Jimenez, with us tonight. James, it's been a while since you've been on the pod. How you doing, man? Good to talk to you. Yeah, good Lord, it has been a while. God, I, I want to say last time was like right at the start of the season, pretty much. So it's only fitting that like a couple days after my 28th birthday, I get to be back on here as a little bit of a gift. So there you go. Ha- happy belated birthday. Thank you. We had a we had a banana cream pie cake with a little bit of banana pudding on top. It was kind of like a angel food cake type deal in the center. It was wonderful. Oh, that's banana cream. That's one of my go to desserts. If I gave me a choice of of what pie I wanted, that that would be one of my top choices up there. I don't know. It might put that above apple pie. That would be a tough competition, though. Those are those would probably be my top two. Mm -hmm. But uh, but anyway. Like I said, James, we got eight bowl games to talk about this year. Uh, a, a league record for the Mac uh, starting off on uh, on Friday, the day if you're listening to this uh, fr- on, the, on the day of release, we got two bowl games here today. Let's start off with the Bahamas Bowl, James. This is a, uh, a game we were talking right before we started recording. Some very, very memorable moments, some very memorable contests in this game. Central Michigan, Western Kentucky, all the way back in 2014, gave us uh, a, a ending for the ages uh, this year we got middle Tennessee state taking on Toledo. Let me, before we even get to the game itself as a central Michigan alum, and I know you said you were a junior <laughs> in college when that happened, give me a little bit of a rundown of your memories of that central Michigan, Western Kentucky game back in 2014. Like I said, one of the all time endings, uh, to a, to a bowl game, no matter what bowl game you're talking about. Oh goodness. Uh, I was very young in my hustle ball brain back then. I want to say it was like maybe my second year on staff. So I was still just like a beat writer at that point. And I remember the Bahamas Bowl coming up and thinking, oh man, that'd be kind of cool, you know, if Central went to the Bahamas Bowl. You know, it, it, it's not often you get to be the first team to play in something like that. And so sure enough, they had like an unveil video and everything. And it was really cool to see the players get really hype about it. But I remember, because uh, I think I was on, like uh, bowl watch duty that day and seeing like it flashed across, you know, the Twitter screen that we had made the Bahamas. And I was so excited. I I remember this. I was so excited. I immediately left my apartment and drove, you know, you know, in the snow and ice all the way down to the Popeyes that had just opened back then at Mount Pleasant. (laughs) It was my first time ever in a Popeyes. Like I'd never had it before. 
I was like, you know what? This is a cause for celebration. I'm going to go ahead and do this. So I went down to the Popeyes, you know, ordered, you know, just like a box of the chicken, potatoes and all that. And I went back home and was just hooting and hollering, celebrating. And then I think within a couple of days, they already had merch out for the prospective matchup with Western Kentucky. And I had watched them play Western Kentucky at the Pizza Bowl, I want to say a year or two back. So I was like, yes, yes, yes. Finally, we get this like really exciting game. And I still have that sweatshirt to this day, like the original commemorative crew neck sweatshirt. I was actually just wearing it yesterday uh, before I put it in the wash. So it's definitely a game that uh, it, that is embedded in my mind. That's just, you know, that's just before, you know, that's before getting into like what actually happened in the bowl game. Because it, it used to be a Christmas Eve game. It used to be the Bahamas yes. Bowl and the Hawaii, uh, the Hawaii Bowl. So like the Bahamas Bowl will be in the afternoon and then the Hawaii Bowl will be in the evening on Christmas Eve. Uh, so, you know, that game kicks off and it's, and I'm at the family house because, you know, it's Christmas time and I'm a college student and, you know, Central goes down by like four or five scores. I'm like, ah, well, I guess I'll start, you know, I'll start writing up this recap or whatever, maybe help my mom with some of the Christmas chores. And then they started coming back a little bit and I was shaking like a leaf, like as they got to that, you know, I think it was seven seconds left in the fourth quarter or and you could uh, we, we live in an old victorian out there in northern michigan and you could hear me just like jumping up and down on the wooden floor of, of the living room we have in there just screaming go 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 just yeah it was such an emotional game like my mom came in to see if i was okay because like fell over and hit something like in the <laughs> room and like we all sat there and watched you know the last play the two-point conversion man what a game uh Somewhere on this website, we'll have to put it in the show notes. I have like a breakdown of uh, just basically like the entire game, yeah. like through the lens of somebody who watched it. It's just, God, it's fun. So like it's a it's a unique experience. Like fans love going there, the teams love going there. Like Toledo's already been in the Bahamas for the last week or so. Yeah, and like they have all sorts of really unique uh, sponsor activations and you know, team contests. I think Toledo won the dance contest, actually. That's like the big, like, team versus team contest that isn't the football game. It's a really cool environment, you know, uh, in the Bahamas, obviously. Like, a lot of the crowd is local, yeah, which is also very unique to something, to to a game like this. So, yeah, there, there's there's a lot to, to like about the Bahamas Bowl and the fact that it's, a, it's now a kickoff bowl in the bowl season. So we're going to be starting the bowl season with Maction. And how can you not like that? How can you not like that? I totally agree. Yeah. You look at the, uh, the box score from that 2014 game. What a, what a game from Cooper rush, 493 yards passing seven touchdowns, including four in the, in the uh, last, in the fourth quarter, excuse me, five in the fourth quarter alone. Uh, that, that game, that game was so lopsided, Zach, before he finished that. Yeah. They had already awarded player of the game to Brandon Dowdy. Wow. So okay. I didn't remember that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That is pretty great. You look at Brandon. I mean, talk about, talk about incredible quarterback play. You got Cooper rush 28 of 45, 493, seven touchdowns and an interception. Brandon Dowdy, 31 of 42, 486 yards and five touchdowns. I mean, talk about great quarterback play in that game. Certainly one to remember, certainly a game for the ages. Let's talk about the game this year though. Uh, James, you mentioned already kind of the lead up to the game. Toledo's been in the in the Bahamas for, you know, the past week or so. I've been following that on Twitter. I'm sure Middle Tennessee State has been as well. 
let's look at the matchup here itself, though. I mean, we got Toledo comes in at seven and five. There was a question there for a while as to whether or not Toledo would even get to a bowl this year. I mean, they won four of their last five games to get to seven and five. There was a point here in uh, early November, they were sitting at four and five where it was looking like this might be a very disappointing season for the Rockets. Daquan Finn comes in as uh, as the quarterback. They turn the reins over to him completely. And as I said, Toledo wins four of their last five. Middle Tennessee State, on the other hand here, you know, the similar situation. They won two of their last three to get to a bowl game. They're sitting here at six and six. This is a good team, a team with a good defense. You look at the Raiders. I mean, uh, 33rd in the country in rush defense, and they're in the top 50 in most defensive metrics. They are, however, down to their third string quarterback. Uh, Bailey Hawkman was their starter to start the season. Chase Cunningham took over, and uh, he went uh, four games, and then he got hurt. And so now, uh, with with both of them out, we're down to you know Middle Tennessee. As I said, you're you're down to your third and your fourth starters here. You got Nick uh, Vadiato and and Mike Deliello that have been splitting reps over the last couple of weeks here. Uh, that is reflected. Uh, you know, you look at you know Toledo, a ten point favorite in this game. James, I'm not going to be a, pretend to be a, a an expert on Middle Tennessee State. I've seen some some glimpses of them here and there throughout the year. But it seems to me, you know, Toledo, just looking on paper, you look at the numbers, you look at the talent that they have on their roster. Toledo does seem to be the better team here. What, what do you think? What do you see in this one? Any, any uh, kind of anything that jumps out at you? Any, any uh, predictions from your perspective? Well, Toledo is certainly the healthier team coming in. That's for sure. Uh, I don't think there are really any major significant injuries for them coming into this one. Their offensive line is healthy there. You know, Bryant Kobach, obviously, Dequan Finn are all going to be healthy. And then, yeah, like I said, no major injuries. So I can see why the line would be that far up. Uh, I know Middle Tennessee does have a pretty good uh, defense. Uh, yeah. They have a couple all-conference players on that side of the ball as well. So if there is one thing to be really careful of, it's getting too fixated on the running game. Because as good as, as, good as Bryant Kobach is, this rushing defense is not a slouch necessarily. So you're going to have to have the dual threat of Finn in the backfield, being able to both create his own running game and be able to fling the ball around. And they will be definitely capable of flinging that ball around. They're averaging, I think, 241.3 yards per game on average. They're scoring yeah. about 34.2 points a game. And a lot of that is based on the run game. So just as long as Toledo's able to keep it balanced and keep Middle Tennessee guessing for a lot of this game, they should be fine, especially given uh, Middle Tennessee State's woes on the offensive side. Because you, when you get into that territory where you're on your third, fourth, or fifth quarterback going into a game, it doesn't matter how much prep you have as that team. You're going to be down a lot of your talent because yeah. these are players who have never seen snaps for the most part. And you're going to have to really simplify your offense, and that puts you at risk, especially when you're against a veteran defense like Toledo's defenses. They've only given up 21 points a game on average, which is the best in the MAC, and I think it's top 25 in the NCAA as well. So it's going to be tough sledding for MTSU for sure. And you go, uh, going back to uh, Toledo's form, they've won four of their last five. Uh, if you look at Two games specifically, if you look at their game against Northern Illinois and their game against Eastern, if one possession swings a different way of both of those games, we're looking at a 9-3 and three team who's won the MAC West. Yeah. But it's also a team that, you know, they have 
one or two more losses, then they're uh, six and six, five and seven. So, you know, a credit to Toledo for finally figuring out what they were going to do, especially on the offensive side of the ball, getting the right people in the right situations and calling the right plays at the right time, because that really did help propel them back into the postseason, which is something that they haven't been able to do in the last two seasons, whether it's due to a dysfunctional you know, defense or, you know, COVID last year where nobody was eligible except for the two championship teams were able to go. Yeah, I totally agree with, with most of what you're saying there, James. I think to me, if, if Middle Tennessee State wants to stay in this game, if they're going to stay in this game, it's going to be because of their defense. You mentioned their rush defense, uh, you know, giving up only 128 rush yards a game. That's 33rd in the FBS. They haven't given up a hundred yard rusher since week five of the season. So these last seven games that they've played, they've been playing really well against the run. You know, you look at Toledo, especially since Daquan Finn has become the starting quarterback here over the last month and a half of the season, very much of much so kind of a run-based offense. You know, Daquan Finn, kind of that dual threat that's going to be able to scramble and do some things with his legs. And then you mentioned Brian Kobach as well with over 1,200 yards on the year. So Toledo, to me, you know, they're, they're going to try and run the ball. I think, though, it's going to be imperative for them. If they want to have success in this game, Middle Tennessee State does seem to be a little bit more uh, you know, a little bit more um, shaky on the back end of their defense. They're giving up almost 240 pass yards a game, 84th in the country. You know, you got to get, you know, Devin Maddox and uh, some of those other receivers for uh, for the the Rockets going to have to to make some plays in the secondary there. This feels, though, I don't know, this feels like a low-scoring game to me, James. You know, a couple, two good defenses here. Toledo, as you mentioned, leads the MAC in, uh, in points per game allowed. Leads the MAC or is top two, three in the MAC in pretty much all defensive metrics, rushing yards per game, passing yards per game. They're actually 17th in the country against the pass here. So I don't see either offense um, having, you know, too much success in this game. This feels like a little bit of a lower scoring game to me. But regardless, I do think uh, I would like to think that, you know, the MAC is going to get off to a 1-0 uh, and start here. Perhaps a little extra motivation, maybe not for Toledo specifically, but I think MAC fans watching this game maybe going to be pulling a little bit extra for Toledo, given that Middle Tennessee State kind of thwarted the uh, expansion plans that the MAC had earlier this year. If only they could have got on board with Western Kentucky, we might be looking at 14 teams in the MAC. I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but I feel like a lot of MAC <laughs> fans kind of feel that way. I don't know. What do you think about that? James? Nah, nah, nah. If you, if you've seen my, if you saw my Twitter around the time, all that was going on, you know, perfectly well, how I feel about that. And I, for one, did not appreciate uh, Middle Tennessee playing the broke boy. <laughs> in that exchange yes like, I, I could go on all day about how three million dollars now doesn't help them any more than you know coming to the mac for 20 years at about five six hundred thousand dollars a year they could be making three four or five times that amount of money by the end of it so you know uh, different universities have different motivations for these types of things i guess it's the most diplomatic way to say it but it would have been really nice to see and that's too bad. And I hope Toledo beats them by 50. <laughs> no, totally, totally agree. It seems like a very kind of a, a short-sighted decision there for, uh, for middle Tennessee to, to take the, the quick money from the exit fees from everyone else leaving conference. You say, but Hey, that's neither here nor there. That's, you know, that's, uh, that, right. That was uh, just... Yeah. Before, before, uh, last thing to say before sure. we move on here, and I guess this is where we get into like key factors of the game, looking yeah. at Brian Kovac's stats, you know, In the last five games, he has not rushed for less than 100 yards. And you were just talking about how Middle Tennessee's run defense 
hasn't allowed a hundred yard rusher all season. Is that right? In the last seven weeks, the last time they allowed a hundred yard rusher. In the last seven five. Weeks. Yeah. Okay. So that 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 will ultimately decide the game, I think. You know, if Toledo is able to get Kobach up to a hundred yards, I think that game's over because that indicates that they're getting their balance and they're getting their game plan executed exactly how they want to, which is how they've won the last, you know, four of the last five games. You know, yeah. if they can't get Kobach going early, if Middle Tennessee keys in on Kobach, it forces them to be one dimensional. You know, you have Deacon Finn, who's still a freshman, having to play up to this moment. And that can be a little bit erratic. Uh, like going back to his first start against Central, like his first true start, he was only eight of 24. Yeah. You know, but he also had three touchdowns. So, you know, you're, you open yourself up to be more volatile on that side if you don't get your play uh your play your your game plan in early sorry no totally agree with that totally agree with that i think uh yeah toledo's gonna have to get uh, brian kobach going in here and and you kind of use the the ground game and establish the ground game to get the offense rolling so we'll see what uh we'll see what the, the rockets are able to do this one kicks off friday at noon from the bahamas live on espn uh, and again, that's Friday at noon, Toledo, a 10 point favorite in that one. Also on uh, on Friday, James, uh, you mentioned, you know, the Mac kind of kicking off bowl season here. We got both games on Friday, including a Mac team. The second game, we got the uh, the tail greeter cure bowl down in Orlando, the Mac champion, Northern Illinois Huskies. One of the surprises, not just in the Mac, but in the entire FBS this season, going from 0 and 6 to 8 and 4 and beating Kent State in the Mac championship game two weeks ago. Their reward for that is they get to take on the 10 and 2 Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. Coastal Carolina ranked for a good portion of this season. Uh, quarterback Grayson McCall, very, very high powered offense for Coastal out of the Sunbelt Conference. They're seventh in the country in total offense, 493 yards per game. Sixth in the country in rushing offense, 231 yards per game. One of the five teams ahead of them in rushing offense is these Northern Illinois Huskies. They're averaging 234 yards a game on the ground. Two very, very, very good rush offenses in this game. Two very good offensive lines. But, uh, James, for all the good qualities of Northern Illinois this year, they have struggled to stop the run. As I mentioned, Coastal averaging 231 yards a game on the ground. Northern Illinois giving up 215 yards a game on the ground. That's 120th in the FBS. That's going to be a tall task for this Huskies defense tomorrow. Uh, What do you think about this one? Northern Illinois, a 10.5-point underdog, actually up to 11 now, an 11-point underdog in this game. It feels like this is a tall task for this Huskies defense. Do you think the Huskies defense can do enough to keep Northern Illinois in this game? Well, I guess we'll find out. Uh, one of the one of the big factors is way to go into this game is you know if you cut out the Michigan game because you know they're just going to get outclassed by Michigan at basically every position. This will probably be the best quarterback they faced in Grayson McCall. He's an NFL prospect. Uh, he can declare this year. He can also come back. For next year but regardless he is being looked at by nfl scouts as currently a day three prospect yeah. right now and you, you can see it when he plays he's a very he's a very unconventional quarterback you know he's really raw but he knows when to get the ball out where to get the ball out or if he needs to be able to run just just one of those true gaming quarterbacks uh to say the least and i think that that type of dynamism is something that niu hasn't white face out like i said outside of michigan really like up to this point so i'm curious to see uh what'll happen there uh 
their other uh, their receiver as well, uh, Isaiah Likely, that kind of hybrid wide receiver tight end. That's their really big target guy. And I think that they will try and get Likely involved early and often. Uh, NIU's defensive uh, defensive uh, motto is essentially they're, they're okay with giving up the run. And you can see that they are, you know, 120th in the league. But if they're not giving up the big play down the field, NIU think NIU is of the belief that they will be able to get that stop. And, you know, that also goes to their offensive philosophy, which we'll talk about here soon. But, you know, North Illinois is willing to bend and bend until they get to a certain part of the field. And then at that point, they really start to go to get aggressive and try to break the offense, so to speak. But this will be one of the most dynamic offenses they face all season. And, you know, they face a lot of dynamic offenses in the MAC. So that's really saying something. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, I, I think that's a great point you make about, about the big play and limiting the big play if you're Northern Illinois' offense, or excuse me, defense. You look at this Coastal Carolina team, you have three receivers, including Isaiah Likely, averaging over 15 yards per reception. Isaiah Likely at 15.7. Then you got uh, Javon Haley and uh, Cameron Brown, both averaging over 17 yards per catch. So there is a big play potential here for Coastal Carolina. And I, I agree with you completely that kind of that bend but don't break philosophy for Northern Illinois. They're really going to have to uh, employ that and make sure that if, the, you know, if Coastal Carolina does get down into the red zone, they're going to have to tighten up here a little bit and limit those big plays down the field. I think that is kind of, I guess you mentioned Northern Illinois' offensive game plan kind of plays into the way that Northern Illinois is going to want to play on offense. I think Based on what I saw from Northern Illinois against Kent State in the MAC championship game, another very high-powered, run-based offense, run-heavy offense, it seems to me like Northern Illinois going to have a similar offensive philosophy in this one, which is to say, let's establish the run, let's bleed the clock, let's have some long drives here and keep that high-powered Coastal Carolina offense on the sideline. Now, Coastal Carolina does have a pretty good defense as well. They're 15th in the country in pass defense, 39th in rush defense. Going to be interesting to see if the Northern Illinois offense and that offensive line is able to move the ball as they normally would be able to against this Chanticleers defense. But it seems to me, James, like their philosophy is going to be similar to what it was against Kent State in the MAC championship game, which is to say long drives, bleed the clock, control possession, and keep that high-powered Coastal Carolina offense on the sidelines. Right, and the, and the key thing to the to the offensive philosophy that I was talking about earlier, and I think it's the most interesting part of NIU's philosophy in general, is that third down doesn't really matter for them. They're one of the yeah. worst third down converting teams in the country. They're like somewhere in the low 30s if I remember right, but it's their fourth down conversions. Uh, they're over 80% on fourth down conversions. So that's why they're so confident in being able to march the ball down the field. And that's why they're so confident in their defense to get the stops when necessary is because they are just of this belief that they are going to convert on the other side and be efficient on the other side. And as long as that offense remains efficient and scores on every drive, they will be fine. So that, that's kind of where Northern Illinois has won in the margins. You know, you, you saw how that happened with Central. They got down really bad at the half and starting in the third quarter of that game. And just, you know, on the fly said, okay, we're not going for the big play anymore. We're just going to own this clock, run down the field, get the defensive stops when we need to, convert on fourth down in the situations where we need to, and we're going to go ahead and win this game. And that's exactly what they went ahead and did in that game. 
Uh, same thing you know, against Kent State and Ball State. They realize we need to run this down as much as we can. And, you know, credit to them. They, they found a plan that seems to work for them. I'm just interested if they're going to be able to do it against Coastal Carolina because, like we said, Coastal Carolina's offense is just so dynamic. Uh, we saw it in play against Buffalo, which is a common opponent that yeah. these two have, actually. Uh, where they where they put that in uh, where when it was operating at its strongest, and, you know, for Coastal, their game against Buffalo was in the early part of the season, whereas NIU got them kind of late when they were already kind of battered. You saw like what that team can do at full tempo, and I think you know the bowl break will allow them to get a little more healthier and get some of those contributors back, and they'll be able to game plan further for NIU. And so I think you're going to be able to see Coastal Carolina back at their strongest. That they've been, you know, they'll they will show why they were a ranked team at yeah. some point. But you know, this is Northern Illinois we're talking about. They won, they won like what was it, eight of their nine games by one score or less. So yeah. I'm fairly confident that Northern Illinois will be able to keep it a close game. I would hate to choose this game if I were an ops, if if I were a gambling man. Yeah, but it's, uh, regardless, I, I it will be it, regardless. It will be very entertaining. I, I yes, certainly did a great job choosing this game. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 true. It's I I agree with you completely. It does. I I'll be honest with you, James. It feels to me. I'm not saying I think Northern Illinois wins this game, but 11 points feels like too much for me. You know, you look at Coastal Carolina's schedule. They were 10 and two. Their two losses this year were against the only two teams they played that were bowl eligible. They played Georgia State and lost. They played Appalachian State and lost. Other than that, all 10 of their victories, the best victory they have was against Troy, who was five and seven. They didn't beat a single team that's going to a bowl. So perhaps if you're a Northern Illinois fan, you can hang your hat on that and have some solace there. And uh, I, I agree with you, James. I, I'm not saying I think Northern Illinois wins this game, but it, this does feel like a close game to me. I feel like the Northern Illinois offense is going to be able to run the ball and control the clock enough to be able to at least keep this one within a touchdown. Moving on, we have on uh, on Saturday, our third MAC Bowl game, we got the Eastern Michigan Eagles under Chris Creighton going to their uh, their third bowl game in four years if we don't include the pandemic season last year when most you know many bowls were uh, were, were uh, shuttered due to the to the ongoing pandemic but we got them traveling down to Montgomery Alabama to ta- or excuse me Mobile Alabama to take on Liberty in the lending tree Bowl the Liberty Flames an independent uh, seven and five both of these teams seven and five Eastern Michigan uh, coming off of a disappointing 31-10 loss to Central Michigan. Uh, to end the year. Liberty also, though, they were 7-2 and two at the beginning of November, and they lost their last three games uh, coming into this one. Last two weren't especially close. They lost to Army 31-16 and to Louisiana 42-14. to They do, however, have who is probably the, the, the best player in this game. You got junior quarterback Malik Willis out of Atlanta. He is a you know, you look at some mock drafts. He is a borderline first-round draft pick uh, coming up in the NFL draft this year, uh, and he's been really good all season. 20, 2,600 passing yards, 24 touchdowns, only 12 interceptions. So he will be a handful for this Eastern Michigan defense. But uh, James, Eastern Michigan, they have uh, they have you know some offensive pot firepower themselves. Uh, top 30 passing offense in the country. 
Ben Bryant, Hassan Badoon, Tanner Gnu. They've had a really good passing attack all year. Not a ton of balance for them on offense. They're not able to run the ball quite as well. 117 yards a game on the ground, which is 112th in the country. I think the matchup of this game here, James, you got that high-powered Eastern Michigan passing attack going up against this Liberty secondary, which is really good. Fifth in the country in pass defense, giving up only 174 yards per game on the ground. Liberty, a nine-and-a-half-point favorite in this one. So not a lot of respect for the Eagles here. This does feel like a hot, you know, like a, a tough hill to climb for Eastern Michigan. Chris Creighton, you know, they've been great getting to bowl games under him. They haven't won one yet, though. So what do you think about this game here? Eastern Michigan looking to get that to get to eight wins for the first time in a very long time with a victory over Liberty. Do you see Eastern Michigan? What I guess the better way to ask it, what what to in your opinion, what would be the path to success for Eastern Michigan in this game? Uh, the path to success here, besides finding a besides finding a run game, it's just inexplicable <laughs> that with as many runners as they have, they're not able to get the ball going down the field. Is yeah. finding a way to stop Malik Willis. I mean, it, it, I hate it for it to be so reductivist like that, but when you have, uh, just like we were talking about earlier in the first, uh, the first or second poem, uh, with Grayson McCall, we're talking about a legitimate NFL prospect on the other side of the ball. You know, Grayson McCall is a day three guy, but we're talking about a guy who might get drafted in the first round here. Yeah. So, of course, any and every game plan that you have to create near the NMUB fantastic center on stopping and containing Malik Willis. And, you know, this is getting into a little bit of my, like, NFL pro football opinions. I don't think Malik Willis is quite as NFL-ready as a lot of people have him projected to be. He was really good at the start of the season, those first three or four weeks. You know, he kind of he kind of lit things up from a highlight perspective, but they've been in really, you know, frankly, piss poor form over the last three weeks. You know, they had that big win against UMass 62 to 17, but anybody can win against UMass at this point. And then you, you look at uh Mississippi 27 to 14. That it's not as close as that uh box score indicates. Uh Louisiana Lafayette lost 42 to 14. That was at home. And they lost also at home to Army 31 to 16, despite having one of the better rush defenses in the country. So, you know, there's only two ways that Liberty can come out in this game with form like that. And it's either they're just going to kind of limp into the end of the season. You know, they're playing Eastern Michigan, you know, like, you know, nice, you know, basically not respecting the opponent, or they come out pissed. And that's really going to depend on Malik Willis because that's the one guy on this team who's, really a their best contributor he's their leading rusher and their leading passer right now and like it is with most mobile quarterbacks you have to you have to contain first and pass rush second before covering third you want to make sure he feels that pressure all day and eastern michigan's defense is a defense you know that gives up a bunch of yards but they're also predicated on turnovers as we saw in the uh, Western Michigan game and in the Ohio game, late in those fourth quarters there, they got a bunch of turnovers. And even in the Toledo game where they won 52 to 49 and ruined Toledo's chances at the Mac West, they got some late turnovers that allowed them to get back into that game and then, you know, go ahead and win it or keep it more competitive than it was. And so when you're on such a boom or bust defense like that, it's imperative on you to get pressure. And I think that's what the defensive game plan is ultimately going to be is we need to find ways to get around this offensive line, force Malik Willis into uncomfortable situations and make that offense one dimensional. 
I, I totally agree with what you're saying, especially in regards to the turnovers there, James. You know, you look at uh, Malik Willis throughout the year, and, and you mentioned Eastern Michigan's defense being predicated on creating turnovers. Malik Willis with three games this year where he had three interceptions and another game where he threw two. You mentioned, you know, th their last three weeks where they, you know, three straight losses, Mississippi, Louisiana, and Army. He threw six interceptions combined in those three games. And so there are going to be opportunities here for this Eastern Michigan defense to create turnovers and, and you know, create some some big plays to, to give their offense good field position. I'm looking at, you know, to your point, James, I think the big thing for me in this one is going to be this Eastern Michigan front seven. You got to be able to get pressure on, on Malik Willis and you got to be able to contain him. So I'm looking at guys like Jose Ramirez and Turan rush on the defensive line, Tariq Spates, Terry Myrick at linebacker. You got to be able to contain Malik Willis. It's tough against, you know, an athletic quarterback such as him that, as you mentioned, not only is he their leading passer, but also their leading rusher. That to me, uh, you know, I think back to whenever Eastern Michigan played Toledo uh, at the beginning of November, and you look at what Daquan Finn did in that game. They contained him in the rushing game. He only had, he didn't even have a, you know, uh, he had one run in that game for 19 yards, but you take into account the sacks in that game. He had negative rushing yards in that game, but they did allow him to go 30 for 45 for 461 passing yards. So you got to be able to, to slow him down because he is really, I'm not going to say he's a one man show for this offense. I mean, there's other, you know, capable players on this offense. Josh Mack is a good running back. You got some good wide receivers on the outside to Mario Douglas and, uh, and CJ Daniels, but Malik Willis is the engine that makes this entire offense go. And I think if they can kind of shut him down, they're going to have a chance in this game. Now, on the offensive side of the ball for Eastern Michigan, what I'm really curious to see is, as I mentioned, I feel like the 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 matchup that might decide this game is going to be this Eastern Michigan passing offense against the Liberty pass defense. As I mentioned, Liberty fifth in the FBS in passing defense, only given up 174 yards per game. And James, if there's one thing we've seen from Eastern Michigan this year, it's that if they aren't able to pass the ball, they don't really have a plan B. This this rushing offense for Eastern Michigan has not been good. I mean, you have, as you mentioned, you have some capable running backs on this team. You know, you got Jawan Hamilton, who has had uh, flashes this year. Darius Boone Jr. has also had flashes this year. But they still, you know, Jawan Hamilton's your leading rusher at 631 yards per game. You're only averaging 117 yards a game on the ground, bottom 15 in the FBS. It feels to me like Eastern Michigan is going to need to have a little bit more balance in this game because of the strength of the Liberty secondary. I don't know. What do you think about the Eastern Michigan offense in this one? Now, I could see why Eastern Michigan has such confidence in their passing game because they have several targets. Yeah. You know, out there. You have Hassan Bajun. You've got Tanner New. You've got several tight ends, you know, yes. Uh, I can't remember if Akudia is injured or not, but you have Westmoreland uh, out there at the tight end position as well, and Bryson Cannon out there catching passes as well. So it's not like they're lacking severely in those options. So I can understand, like, why if you have, you know, if you've got one of the best, like, maybe one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the MAC by passing yards this year and Ben Bryant, why would go out and fling the pill? I get that. I, I definitely get that. And, you know, to a certain extent, you know, a short passing game is just as good as having a running game. And again, I understand that. But at some point, you know, teams are going to be able to key in on that. And we saw that in their game in Central Michigan, where they, you know, at the end of the season, where they just 
weren't able to get the run game going and that really hampered their ability to you know keep the situations positive because like there's no use in having a short run there's no use in having a run game that predicates on having favorable yardage if you're not in favorable yardage like uh samson evans for instance uh he's a situational runner they want him in there you know on second and third and you know five or less or something like that but if you're passing on first down and it's incomplete it's second and ten you're not going to be able to set up the run game unless you get a five or six yard pass and that's not necessarily a guarantee and that's too bad you know uh, Juwan hamilton he, like you said he's showing flashes i think if you were to give him more you know if you're if you're to feed him a little more he would be able to get through the you know get through the holes and maybe wear down defenses a little more but that just isn't how eastern teams want to play football right now they don't want to commit to one back they want to they want to have all their backs play in certain situations when you know when the game is in a certain way and i think it's a little bit of overthinking in that situation uh yeah. you know if you know you look at you look at other situations around the mac where they know who their know who their back is and just stay with them whereas eastern is the only team i can really think of in the mac that continues to do a by committee look and it's always confused me because they've got three or four capable backs and i can understand wanting to play them all but at some point you just have to commit to trying to have a run game if only to open up the passing game and you know liberty is a lot 141.2 rush yards so they're going to be a very good rushing defense so you're already behind the eight ball in that matchup on paper yeah but if you're able to find the situations for the run game works for you if you're able to get into those positive situations and get into those third and twos second and twos you know run you know run wildcat or whatever like they do with samson evans and Juwan hamilton just figure out way figure out ways to get the ball on the ground so you're able to maintain possession and keep liberty's offense off the field because that is one way you can detain malik willis is if malik willis isn't on the field at all and that's really hard to do if you're passing a lot yeah totally agree totally agree i, I think they're gonna have to find some semblance of balance uh if they if they want to have a chance to win this game so uh the lending tree bowl down in mobile this one kicks off saturday on espn at 5 45 eastern uh the eastern michigan eagles a nine and a half point underdog in this one uh, let's move into next week now, James, on, on Monday in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. Our last memory of this game is Frank Solich getting the French fry bath after uh, Ohio winning the Idaho Potato Bowl back in uh, 2019, which turned out to be uh, Frank Solich's last game as a head coach of the Bobcats. This year, we got the MAC representative, the Kent State Golden Flashes, coming off of that loss to Northern Illinois in the MAC championship game a couple weeks back. They come into this one taking on the 6-6 six and six Wyoming Cowboys out of the Mountain West. This one kicks off Monday at 3.30 on ESPN. Kent State currently a three-point underdog in this one. And uh, James, to me, this one more than probably any of the other bowl games involving the MAC this year, this one here is the biggest clash of styles, I think. You got... Kent State, flat this flash fast, high powered offense, eighth in the country in total offense, almost four hundred and over four hundred eighty yards a game here, fourth in the country in rushing offense. On the other side of the ball, you got Wyoming, which is uh, pretty pretty 
impressive in almost every defensive metric. They got a top 10 pass defense uh, in terms of total defense. They're in the top 40. Uh, the rush defense is a little bit suspect. It feels like Kent State might be able to take advantage of that. But again, whereas Kent State's all, almost their entire identity is based on being able to outscore people, Wyoming, on the other hand, with Craig Bull as head coach, their entire identity almost is based on being able to stop people. They have a kind of a, a ground and pound attack on offense. They're going to run the ball. They only throw for about 165 yards a game, which uh, might be good news for the Kent State secondary, which has struggled mightily at times this year. But again, this one, James, feels like a, a great kind of contrast in styles for me. Uh, I'll be curious to see which one comes out on top and which one triumphs uh, the great Kent State offense or the great Wyoming defense. What do you see in this one? This one's an intriguing matchup to me. What do you think? There's another one where uh, a MAC team has an opponent that has a game in common of another MAC team. Uh, Wyoming played NIU earlier in the season, and I remember watching that game. Uh, Wyoming got up to a pretty substantial lead on those Huskies, and that turned out to be you know, even more so than the Georgia Tech game, like the defining moment for letting people know that, you know, the Huskies aren't here to, you know, to just be last in the conference. Like they came back and really made that game at the end. They just couldn't get a defensive stop, you know, at the last minute. Oh, as that score box, uh, that box score looks a little bit better for the Huskies. But it does show that Wyoming can be a little bit sus uh, suspect to teams that don't play scared. Mm. in a way because like you said uh, Wyoming's big thing is defensive stops and then grinding out you know grinding out the clock like I'm looking at their total yards in offense they're only at 360 yards a game which feels yeah. archaic these days frankly you know they're at uh, 165 passing yards uh the rushing yards are great they're rushing about 195 yards which is you know really decent if that's your game is to just grind out clock to get three yards in the cloud of dust and come out on top with you know 100 conversion rate on touchdowns but yeah there's a chance uh kent state it, as long as they get their foot on the gas and you know respond to wyoming's drives in a, you know in a way that is favorable to them i think that they'll be able to keep this a very close game yeah i'm, I'm with you james and i think the thing for me and the thing, you know, Steve and I have talked about this throughout the last couple of weeks with Kent State. It, it feels to me, Kent State more so than any team in the conference, that if, if you get them off schedule, if, you know, if Kent State has an early turnover or something in this game, because of the struggles of their defense, a, a, an early turnover like that can really, really kind of put them behind the eight ball, right? Because it's tough for them to get stops. It really is. And especially, you know, you got a, a Wyoming team, as you mentioned, they're averaging 195 rush yards a game, 4.9 yards per carry. You look at, you know, on the other side of the fence, Kent State giving up 190 yards a game on the ground. That's 106th in the country. So it does feel like Kent State's offense, the pressure is going to be on them to, to stay on track here, as it always is. I think if Kent State can stay away from turnovers in this game, I do think that they're going to be able to take advantage of some of the matchups they have. As I mentioned, 
for as good as Wyoming's defense is, they're 96 in the country, excuse me, 92nd in the country in rush defense. They're giving up 100, almost 170 yards a game on the ground. Kent State, obviously, you know, they're in the top five in the country in rushing offense, fourth in the country, 5.3 yards per carry, 243 yards per game. I think if Kent State can get Marquez Cooper and Xavier Williams going early in this game and kind of establish the run, I do feel like Kent State is, is going to be able to take advantage of that Wyoming rushing defense. Now, the only thing, the only concern here is obviously with Kent State's defense. Are they going to be able to slow down this Wyoming rushing attack? Now, you know, we, we, we've said it a couple of times now. This is not the, the most high-powered uh, offense out there. You mentioned only 360 yards a game. Which does feel, I mean, it feels like that's, you know, that would be good if we were talking, you know, 1995 college football. But here we are, you know, 2021, you're not going to win a ton of games with only 360 yards a game. However, they do have two very good running backs on this team. Xavier Holiday leads the team 984 rushing yards, 5.2 yards per carry, and Titus Swen. Uh, 737 rushing yards, 5.9 yards per carry. So there are two very good running backs on this team for Wyoming that are going to be able to take advantage of this Kent State rush defense, which has been suspect at times. I think this Kent State secondary is going to be pretty key in this game. If they're able to make, uh, you know, if you're able to make Wyoming one dimensional offensively, I think Kent State has a chance to win this game. I'm not going to sit here and pretend to have watched a ton of Wyoming games this year, but you mentioned the Northern Illinois game where, you know, they, they put up 50 on the Huskies. Also, you look at the ball state game, Wyoming, this Wyoming team really dominated ball state back in week three in Laramie 45 to 12 Wyoming beat the Cardinals. It was 31, nothing at halftime in that game. Now that's not to say that, uh, you know, I, I think, Ball State's turnovers in that game, to go back to the turnover point, really kind of played a big part in that. Drew Plitt threw a pick six in that game, as did uh, – there are actually – Ball State threw two pick sixes in that game, Drew Plitt with one and John Paddock with another one in the fourth quarter. So, you know, you take away the turnovers, you limit the turnovers for Kent State. I do feel like Kent State has the offensive firepower to win this game. But, again, I think it comes back to them limiting turnovers and being able to at least somewhat slow down this Wyoming offense. Certainly. And like we were saying, like Kent State is the worst team in the MAC on defense. Uh, we were talking about, well, yeah. uh, we weren't, but you folks uh, last week were talking about, and I probably put it in the preview. They were last in the, in the league in defense and one of the worst seasons on defense in general. They really are reliant on scoring efficiently in, uh, in their offensive game. So it's suspect to say the least. And in that MAC championship game, we saw, you know, like for as much as we saw uh, that pass defense really show up against Miami in, you know, that de facto MAC East championship game, it became an issue uh, against NIU. NIU was really attacking uh, the secondary there at portions of that game, knowing that they could catch them off guard, you know, like lull them to sleep with a run game and then just toss a deep bomb and oh, oh look the corner's out of position can't make the play you know that was especially evident on the uh Rocky Lombardi throw I think it was on third and 11 or something like that in their own territory yeah. he kind of rolls out uh the corner covering uh yeah the corner covering Rudolph I think wasn't really expecting a throw there he was expecting like a throwaway so he was on the receiver but not quite on the receiver and Rudolph just makes this really ridiculous you know, toe tapper on the sideline to 
extend that drive. And that was like the pivotal moment of the game for that defense. And they just didn't come up with it because they were within a score, I think, at that point. Yeah. And then it just it, it just left them. Like as soon as that catch came down, it was like, ah, here's that Huskies double magic again. And, you know, th- this team didn't play like this the last time we, you know, the last time we beat them. And, you know, because like in that other game, they were able to get the stops when they needed to and they were able to score when they needed to. But in this one, it was the opposite. Like NIU came out with a great defensive game plan that really limited what Kent State could do on offense. So then on defense, they were just constantly caught playing catch up because that defense was out there for anywhere between four and 10 minutes at a time, you know, in possession and feeling like, oh, I have to make a play. I have to make a play. And just they weren't able to make plays because they were tired and out of position all the time. And I think that's ultimately what. Wyoming is going to depend upon is kind of executing that NIU game plan of uh, establishing their offensive presence early so that they can force Kent State into trying to make a mistake on offense to make up for it, which is kind of what we saw in the last two weeks of their games. Yeah, but, you know, it's going to take a lot of points to beat Kent State. Like looking at looking at the form, uh, the form tables of their last five games. Uh, Kent State has not scored any less than 38 points in the last yeah. five weeks. And that was a that was a 38 nothing game against Akron where they didn't really need to score points. Whereas I think the, yeah, the highest total for Wyoming in the last five is 44 and their lowest is 23. So it it's just one of those things where Wyoming is either winning by a lot or they're losing by a lot. So it'll be interesting to see which team for both sides comes out in this game. Certainly agree with that. And, uh, you know, going to be you know, a lot on, on Dustin Crum's shoulders here. You know, mentioned the turnovers. He had two, uh, two interceptions in that MAC championship game, one of which uh, that, that pick six uh, return for a touchdown. So we'll see what uh, Kent State's able to do against the Cowboys. Again, this one kicks off Monday at 3.30 on ESPN from uh, the blue turf up there in Boise. Kent State, a three-point underdog in this one. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, moving uh, later into next week on Thursday, we have the, the first ever Frisco football classic. North Texas taking on Miami. The Red Hawks, a three-point underdog, in, or excuse me, a three-point favorite in this game. The last time we saw Miami, they were they uh, lost in overtime off that failed two-point conversion against Kent State in which, uh, you know, that game was there to determine who was going to go to the MAC championship game. On the flip side, uh, James, this is a North Texas team that started the season one and six, and they've won their last five games to get to bowl eligible. Included in that five-game win streak, it was a very, very impressive 
45 to 23 beatdown of Texas San Antonio, who was ranked 22nd in the country at the time. That was in the last week of the season. So that was the last time we saw the Mean Green. This team uh, under Seth Luttrell has really turned their season around here in the last month and a half. Uh, they have a very, very good rushing offense. So normally, when you think about North Texas, you think about high-flying kind of you know air raid, pass-happy offense. This team, James, third in the country in rushing offense, over 245 yards per game on the ground. You contrast that with Miami, who is almost a exclusively a, a passing offense this year. You've got Jack Sorensen on the outside, like Brett Gabbert throwing him the ball. Gabbert, 24 touchdowns, only six interceptions this year. Jack Sorensen, 1,200 receiving yards and 10 touchdowns. Kind of another game here, kind of contrast of offensive styles. Both teams, this feels like a very even matchup to me here, James. Two teams, both at 6-6, six and six, both have pretty good offenses, decent enough defenses. This feels to me like this is going to be a coin flip game. How do you see this one playing out? By the way, how do we feel about a game that is that is going to that it just kind of popped up out of the ground to yeah. be a, essentially a bull filler being called a classic? It, it, uh, yeah, right, is right, that right. right. Is that, like, could they not come up with any other name besides Frisco Football Classic? Could, could they even get a sponsor? I, I don't think they did, and it's it's a great point. Yeah, it's hard for something to be a classic when this is the first ever iteration of it. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's silly. I I, I love bowl season precisely for this kind of uh, yeah. Uh, I'm allowed to swear on here, right? Go for it. <laughs> for for this kind of fucking lack of dates of ridiculousness, where it's just like, <laughs> oh, we only have we only have 41 bowl games. You know, we have eight, we have 84 teams eligible. Well, that that's easy enough. We don't want to choose between these, you know, four or six and six teams until one, just a couple of them go home. We'll just make one. Yeah. Boom easy like just one of those things where it, i love it i i love for as much uh, for as many frustrating things as there are to cover about the college football season like it's it's just great that we're able to do this now and we've set this precedent now is this going to yeah. happen further down the line are we and like this year we've got the frisco football classic but next year is it the like the amarillo you know the Amarillo inaugural Amarillo Dust or something Bowl. like that. We got the we got the you know the Odessa Bowl. It just you know yeah. finding finding a, it, it's just a rotating bowl game every year that's unsponsored. It's always the first one. Yeah, just yeah. The, the, the possibilities are endless there. But uh, actually, let, let's uh, getting back to the game. Getting back to the game here. You're right. This is a pretty evenly this is a pretty evenly matched up. Uh, Game between these two teams here. I'm looking at uh, ESPN. They've got Miami, Ohio is the three point favorite. I want to say I, I'm still not quite. I just don't quite understand how betting works. Uh, the over under is 54. That feels pretty accurate. It's almost a toss up essentially in ESPN's matchup predictor, which is 4.2 in favor of Miami right now. But what really sticks out to me right here is uh, DeAndre Torrey, the running back, 248 carries, 1,215 yards and 13 touchdowns. Uh, he really, in the last two weeks, came up vital for North Texas with 200-yard performances and five touchdowns, including you know 108 yards, 23 carries, three touchdowns in that. It wasn't just an upset. It was a throttling. It was 45 to 23 yeah. of UTSA. So I, I feel like uh, Miami is really going to key in on that. They have one of the better uh, rushing defenses in the country. Trust me, I know. 
as a central fan because they held <laughs> Lou Nichols, the country's leading rusher, to 21 yards on 12 carries, which is frankly probably the most impressive defensive performance I think I've yeah. seen in a while. Yeah. And by the way, I would have turned to the Joker if it was NIU in Miami in the championship game, <laughs> as, you know, being a central fan. Yeah. <laughs> and having lost both those games on like one possession weirdness. But, yeah. uh, you know, that, that, that's me taking off my journalist hat there for a second. You know, uh, my, Miami's very, a very sneaky six and 16. They had some struggles in the non conference, but they played it for a tough non conference slate as well. They were also dealing with injuries. Uh, you know, you had uh, Brett Gabbert and AJ Meyer rotating in back and forth. They weren't able to, they had some issues with running back depth, especially in the first couple of weeks. Saw a lot of Keon Mosey, who was a true freshman, starting a lot of those games and not getting a lot of yards because, uh, wouldn't you know it, uh, having a true freshman as a lead back with no one behind him doesn't really amount to much yeah. when it comes to these types of things. But uh, that defense is going to be key for Miami. 150 rushing yards allowed per game, 222 pass yards. One of the better defenses in the MAC. Uh, you know, you look at their last five games. Uh, they probably should have won that game against Kent State, if I'm going to be honest. They had just Agreed. one play. Yeah, they had one play that went against them. And that's sometimes how it goes, as we saw in the uh, Abu Dhabi F1 race this weekend. You know, you can, <laughs> you, can, you can lead the entire game. You can have, you know, you have this great performance, you know, in the entire game if you're Kent State, and then you just let them back in little by little, and by the end, you know, you, you find yourself like, oh, shit, like, you know, it's one play that's going to define whether or not we're going to end up in the championship game or not, and that's what happened to Miami, and that's too bad, because, you know, they were in a position where, you know, if they didn't get certain results at the end of the season, they were looking at not being in the postseason at all. So, like, you know, just the fact they were able to get those two wins against uh, Buffalo and Bowling Green and then be super competitive against Kent State is, is a nod to Chuck Martin and his coaching staff. They continue to bring in so many good recruits. I think they're the number one team in recruiting once again this season at the early, as of early signing day. We saw a couple yeah. months before that ends. I think they're 76 per 247 on that. But yeah, Miami, for, for the Miami side, it's going to be the defense and how early they're able to establish themselves. Like we've talked about the offense establishing themselves a lot uh, in the prior games. Miami is a defense first team. They've always been predicated on stopping teams as soon as possible with a ferocious pass rush and being aggressive in their run gaps. You know, they're, they're, you know, it's one of those teams that's built outside in some of their best players are on the corners you know, in coverage. So, you know, you have Sterling Weatherford out there. He's a first-team All-Mac defensive back, I think, the last two years in a row. Yeah. And then, you know, you have two linebackers that are very balanced, and Matt Salopek and uh, Ivan Pace, who can both cover the pass and rush. And that's super vital, you know, if you're a, if you're a defense like Miami, which has to be amorphous. Uh, and then you have a Cameron Butler on the edge. I think it was a former tight end. That's why he wears number 82. They put him out to defensive end, and he just has that long range to be able to go up and swat balls or to intercept the balls, as we saw against Kent State. You know, and he's able to get to the pass rusher with that bend. Like, I think for Miami to win this game, they're going to have to, they're going to have to beat a physical team. 
yeah. on defense, especially to stop because like most of uh, most of uh, North Texas's ability to win games has been on offense. Looking at their last five games, uh, they won all five of their games. But looking at who they played, you've got Rice, who's okay. That's thirty twenty four overtime. Only won that by one possession. But after that, you have USM, who was playing their super back offense, thirty eight fourteen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you got UTEP. They just got away with it, twenty to seventeen. A a team in FIU that's been checked out since pretty much the Central Michigan game, forty nine seven. And then UTSA, who doesn't have the best defense in the world, even though they're ranked. Like that was an, that's another team that's based on their offense, forty five to twenty three. So, you know, this is a team that can put up points in bunches when necessary. And as I've seen in person with Miami when it comes to those clutch games they just find ways they they win games by rattling you on defense early and forcing you to live with that mistake on the next possession on offense because that offense also converts at a really good rate we're talking yeah. about Brett Gabbert who's one of the who's one of the best uh, quarterbacks in the Mac he won Mac freshman of the year and a Mac title in 2019 you know, I uh, kind of had an off year in 2020, but he was dealing with injuries as well. And then 2021, he had a slow start and then really picked it up in the second half of the Mac slate. You know, really uh, not just finding uh, Jack Swanson, but also Mac Kippenhammer became more of a part of that offense as the second half progressed. Uh, Jack Coldire came out of literally nowhere and was starting to score a lot of touchdowns at the tail end of the season, which uh, was an unfortunate development for my Mac fantasy team. As I had yeah. dropped him because he wasn't getting any production in the mid part of the season, only for him to show up with like five touchdowns at the end of the year. I was like, well, where did this come from? You know, <laughs> but but like they are not lacking for options on offense. And you know, it just goes back to an old fashioned, you know, this team doesn't dazzle you. Yeah. You know, they're they're not the Kent State offense. They're not gonna, you know, run the ball for five yards on average and then do a shot pass 70 yards downfield. This is a true three yards and a cloud of dust team. You know, they're going to hand off the ball. They're going to get yards the hard way. They're going to let the clock run down. They're going to pass in the short and intermediate game, run the ball down the field. And oh, if they see somebody open downfield, they're going to go for it. If it's a tie in down the scene, they're going to go for it. If it's a wide receiver on the outside, they're going to go for it. It's just a, it's a true, like fundamentally sound football team. And I think that that is ultimately what's giving them the favored part here. And that's no offense to North Texas. North Texas has done a very good job in getting here. Seth Luttrell was close to being fired. Like yeah. when they were one and five, he, if he lost that last, that sixth game, he was going to be out of there because he's been there for, I think three or four seasons now. And you know, they had progressed pretty visibly since he had gotten there. But the fact that they were able to come back and win those last five games, they're going to get a de facto home game you know, in Frisco, which is not far from where they are. You know, that that's a testament to them and their ability to get up with these types of games. But at some point, that luck runs out. And I think not having played a game in two weeks, you know, that's actually this will be almost a month. Their last game was on the 27th of November. You know, I'm not sure they're going to be able to carry that momentum that far down the track. 
Yeah, that'll that'll certainly be an interesting uh, an interesting storyline there, James. I agree with you. Typically, a team that wins five straight games going into their bowl game, I, I'd be very high on. But but I, I hear what you're saying. They have not having not played for a month. I think I agree with your point of you know I, I think the Miami front seven um, is going to be kind of the determining factor in this game, limiting that uh, that North Texas rushing offense. I mean, this is. You talk about a run heavy team. I mean, uh, North Texas quarterback Austin on, he only has, he's only averaging about 21 pass attempts for game. You know, these last two games they played against Florida international and Texas San Antonio, he only get, he only threw the ball 12 and 17 times respectively in those two games. So they are going to pound the ball with Deandre Torrey. You mentioned, you know, hundred yards in each of the last two games for him, five touchdowns over the last two games. I think that's going to be, the, uh, the the matchup of the game here, that North Texas rushing offense against that Miami front seven with, I, you mentioned Ivan Pace, and you know you got Cam- Cameron Butler and Ben Kimpler along that D-line. Going to need big performances from them if, uh, if Miami wants to uh, perform up to the expectations as a favorite in this one. So Miami here, again, a three-point favorite in this one. This, this one kicks off Thursday, the 23rd at 3.30 on ESPN. Next up, we have a Christmas Day bowl game. I can't recall the last time we had a Christmas Day bowl game. I know the Hawaii Bowl has always been on Christmas Eve, but uh, I can't recall the last time we had a Christmas Day game. But Ball State gets the honors here. The 2020 MAC champions this year, a little bit of a step back. They finished six and six. Their reward for that six and six season is a trip to the Camellia Bowl, taking on the Georgia State Panthers out of the Sun Belt. This one taking place down in Montgomery, Alabama, kicking off at 2.30 Eastern on Christmas Day. Ball State, a four and a half point underdog in this one. And James, to me, um, I I don't want to sound harsh, and, and maybe you can disagree with me here, but Ball State to me was maybe the most underwhelming team in the MAC this year, given preseason expectations. I'm sure you could probably talk Western Michigan is in that conversation as well. But Ball State to me, I don't know. They never really lived up to their potential this year. They had games where they looked great. You think about you know their 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 um, near miss against Northern Illinois, which they easily could have won that game. Their game against uh, Western Michigan back in October, where they throttled the Broncos. But then they had some very underwhelming performances as well. You know they get. Uh, got throttled themselves by Central Michigan in the next to last week of the season. Underwhelming performances against Toledo and Wyoming. That gets you a six and six record, four and four in the MAC. Georgia State, they won their last three games of the season to get to seven and five. This is a very run heavy offense here. 119th in the country in passing offense, but eighth in the country in the run game, 225 yards a game on the ground. That could uh, spell trouble for this Ball State defense. It's 93rd in the FBS in rush defense, giving up almost 170 yards per game on the ground. What do you think about this one, James? Obviously, again, Ball State coming off of that MAC championship last year, a little bit of a disappointing season this year. Can they finish it off on a high note with a victory down in Alabama? Now, I'll have it noted I was a bit of a skeptic uh, when the preseason polls came out and Ball State was up top because I know they were returning over 92% of their offensive and defensive production. And typically when you win a championship, you return 90, 92% of your roster. That typically means they're going to be a really good team. But like this was also a team that in 2019 didn't really live up to expectations. And 2020 was a bit of a weird year as it was. You only had six games. You know, you played your five divisional opponents and one crossover opponent. And sometimes weird things happen. I mean, reduce the schedule like that. And that's not to say it was deserved. They definitely deserved it for basically going undefeated in the season. But 
ultimately, I think they just kind of regressed to the mean this season because yeah. I think that the talent on this team was frankly a six and six, seven and five, five and seven team. Then they, they played like it this season. They had some really good performances this season, uh, most notably against Western, which really surprised me. And then they had some really bad performances. Like uh, looking back at November 10th, that was their game against NIU at NIU in the Bronx Stock game. They had that game won on third down. They got to stop the absolutely needed to get the Huskies out of field goal range. And then one of the defensive players committed after the after the play defensive foul that gave 15 yards and a first down. Like it's that kind of like lack of discipline that showed up at times. You know, if that doesn't happen, they don't lose that game. Like at that point, they're up 29-27 and they've just forced a punt or a long fourth down attempt to just keep that drive alive with under a minute to go. And, you know, you go back to Miami, Ohio as well. He had a chance to win against Miami, Ohio and just didn't do it. You know, it's just one of those things where like, it doesn't matter if you have that one good performance or you get it together on one day. The true mark of a team that's in contention is doing it every week. And like Ball State is not at a point right now where they're able to do that every week now. 2020, like I said, it's a very different season. You know, uh, NIU was in the in a rebuilding year. They went 0-6. Uh, Central Michigan, uh, they graced their entire freshman class and were playing several players two ways. Like, they were having a really weird season there. You know, Toledo had a it had a injured 2019 and then didn't play up to stuff 2020. Like, you know, there's just a lot of stuff going on, but Ball State managed to persevere. Just one of those things. Now there's still yeah. some great there's still some great talent out here. You know they have a really great freshman running back in Carson Steele, who's one of my favorite players in the Mid American Conference this season. I want to pull up his stats real fast. Uh, 177 carries, under 29 yards, six touchdowns. That's pretty you know that's pretty great performance coming out of a true freshman. Uh, Drew Plitt has been serviceable, 17 touchdowns, five interceptions, and then you have Justin Hall and Justin Jackson. You know Hall's been one of the most dependable wide receivers i think i've ever seen them at you know going back to like the likes of Corey davis and titus davis and deontay johnson you know kind of like that line of like four-year starters super dependable you know this guy's going to get your receptions kind of back and then you know you have johannes tyler out there too who would be a wide receiver one on some other mac teams you know as their third or fourth receiver you have uh, jalen mcgow who's who goes in there to do basically just shot plays and is successful on like two of every three or something like that. So there's definitely mm-hmm. talent there and there's talent defensively too. Brandon Martin is a great linebacker for them over there. And they've got some great corner play as well. I just think it's a really strange down year for their corner play, which is, which shows itself uh, in the stats. Uh, they're t- allowing 246.2 yards per game there. And they're allowing about uh, 26 and a half points per game and only scoring 24. You're not going to win a lot of games and you have a negative points to points allowed margin in that respect. And, you know, that's just how it goes sometimes in football. I, I think Ball State is talented and, you know, this game will be close. It's only a four and a half point spread. So, you know, with two offenses that like to run the ball a little bit, anything can happen, one turnover. If that whole margin changes. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think 
the, the thing to me, if I, that concerns me, if I'm ball state is that, you know, Georgia state, they have been successful running the ball against every team that they have played this year. I mean, even you look back, you know, in September, this team went to Auburn and, and gave the Tigers everything that they could handle. I mean, they, they lose that one 34, 24 Auburn outscored Georgia state 22, nothing in the second half of this game, Georgia state was up 24, 12 in that game. And even against this strong Auburn defense, Georgia state 47 carries 267 yards, 5.7 yards per carry. I think that this ball state defense is going to struggle to stop this Georgia state rushing offense. And, you know, you look at, uh, you look at their roster and then some of the statistics here for, uh, for Georgia state, you got, Tucker Gregg, their leading rusher, 899 yards, 5.1 yards per carry. Right behind them, him, you have uh, Jamie S. Williams, 810 yards, 6.8 yards per carry on 120 carries, nine touchdowns there for him. So you got two very good running backs uh, for, uh, for, for Georgia State. And you look at the teams that Ball State has played that, uh, that you know, are able to run the ball. You look at, you know, Northern Illinois. And it's not good for them. <laughs> exactly. You know, Northern Illinois and – and, uh, you know, Central Michigan, Lou Nichols, 32 carries, 219 yards, three touchdowns against uh, against Ball State. Um, and then, you know, Jay Ducker for Northern Illinois, 24 carries, 155 yards and a touchdown. That worries me if I'm a Ball State fan. I don't see how Ball State has success defensively stopping this Georgia State rushing attack. Now, the flip side of that, you know, you mentioned Justin Hall and, and Johannes Tyler and Jay Sean Jackson and Jalen McGoy and Drew Plitt. This Ball State passing offense does have potential, and Georgia State's pass defense is 110th in the country. They're giving up 259 yards per game through the air. So I do think offensively, Ball State can have some success against this Georgia State secondary. But man, I think this is going to be tough sledding for Ball State's defense defense here especially this front seven it's going to be a tall task for them stopping this Georgia State rushing offense so if I had to pick one in this game I think I'd probably go with Georgia State just because of that matchup and you know Ball State's defense has shown us that they struggle against good rushing offenses so we'll see if uh, if they can prove me wrong we'll see what this front seven is able to do uh, for the Cardinals and again this one kicks off Christmas Day at 2 30 on ESPN Ball State a four and a half point underdog here Next up, uh, Monday, December 27th, we got the Quick Lane Bowl, Nevada taking on Western Michigan. This is one here, James, uh, a lot of, of flux for Nevada here and, and a lot up in the air. If you would have asked me a week ago, I probably would have picked the Wolfpack in this game. But since then, we've had uh, their head coach, Jay Norvell, leaves Nevada to go to fellow Mountain West school, um, Colorado State. We have their starting quarterback, Carson Strong, fifth in the country in passing yards this year with 4,186 yards. He announces he's going to forego this bowl game uh, and start getting ready for the NFL draft. So Nevada now, without their head coach, without their starting quarterback, who really makes everything go for the Wolfpack, uh, they – uh, now, Western Michigan, a six-point favorite in this game after those new adjustments. As I mentioned, Nevada, fourth in the country in passing offense this year with 366 pass yards a game. But again, that's dependent on Carson Strong being there throwing the ball. They only rushed the ball for 73.8 yards per game, 129th in the country. Only 306 rushing attempts on the season. The only team in the country with less than that was Mike Leach's Mississippi State squad down there in Starkville. And we all know that uh, Mike Leach has always been allergic to running the ball. Western Michigan on the other side, they got their whole team playing. Caleb Albies here, Sky Moore's here, 
Uh, you got um, Sean Tyler and Ladarius Jefferson in the backfield. This feels like a good matchup for the the, the Broncos, especially now with uh, all the, the people that Nevada is going to be missing. That's not to say that Nevada isn't still dangerous. Again, this is a very high-powered offense, storing almost 37 points a game, almost 366 yards a game through the air. But, James, it's been a little bit of an up-and-down season for Western Michigan. They did win that last game against Northern Illinois, albeit what Northern Illinois resting some players. But, uh, you know, Western Michigan, this is a team that a lot of people thought could win the MAC this year, as did I. They never really seemed to live up to their potential, similar to what we were just saying with Ball State. In this one, though, this feels like a good matchup for the Broncos. What do you think? I think it is. Uh, you know, it's going to be in Detroit in the Quick Lane Bowl. It's going to be a bizarre start time. It's going to be the 11 a.m. Eastern. Uh, yeah. We'll we'll see how eager and ready Broncos fans are for an 11 a.m. start. Certainly. But uh, yeah, that passing off, like that, that balanced offense, like we continue to say this about, you know, Western every single week, but they just have the most, one of the most balanced offenses in the back. And you can't discount that if you're trying to plan for them defensively. So, you know, you got Caleb Bellaby, who's another potential NFL prospect, a day three or priority free agent, you know, out, uh, out there running their offense more or less. And uh, they got their two receivers out there, especially Sky Moore on that slant. Just yeah. absolutely dangerous. I want to go back and check his stats real fast. Uh, it's uh, nine, 91 receptions for 1,255 yards and 10 touchdowns. He is just the master of that, you know, RPO look. He's he's that first read. Like, that's really what Nevada is going to have to key in on. Sky Moore is going to be that first read. And then it's whoever's the second slot is going to be that second read. And then it's outside third. You know, tight ends are not really involved in this offense. They're more blockers than anything. But the running game is also going to be pretty vital here as well. Nevada does not have a great defense. They're allowing almost 400 yards per game, uh, 174 on the ground, 224 through the air. So, like, everything on paper and, you know, emotionally, because it is in Detroit, you know, so you're going to have a de facto home game for Western here, says that you should go Western here. But we've also said that in the past before, and they haven't performed. So it's just one of the, it's just one of those things. Where which Western are we getting? Which Tim Lester are we getting? You know, are we going to get the good play call Tim Tim Lester? Or are we going to get the you know the turtle shell Tim Lester, where he's <laughs> like, oh, you, you know, like you know, it, basically, are they going to play scared or not? Is what it ultimately comes down to for Western. And you know, against EMU, they played scared. You know, they, they folded in that game and it lost them a chance at the Mac West title. Same thing against Central. You know, Central posted a bunch of points on them and Western said, okay, fine, give up. You know, you, you're just too good. You know, so that, that's what it'll come down to is which Western comes out in this one because their offense is going to be decidedly better than Nevada's now that Nevada no longer has Carson Strong. And they're having to rely on their back and quarterback who hasn't seen any action this year. And a running back who, okay. Now, the running back's fine. He's, he's a good running back. He leads, you know, he leads their team currently. Uh, let me pull that up again real fast. Yeah, I got Toa, Toa Taua. Yeah, his 704 yards, five touchdowns. That's fairly decent for a team that doesn't run the ball a lot. But... uh. Toa's brother is actually the interim head coach 
So I do wonder if there's going to be a bit of a change of philosophy, knowing that you have a backup quarterback in, it's going to try and get the run game more involved. And if that's the case, then you have to kind of look at defensively what Western is going to do to try and change that. Uh, Western's defensive advantage is they have one of the most ferocious front fours in the mm-hmm. Mac with Ralph Holly and Ali Fayad uh, getting to the quarterback, especially. I think they're both over double digit sacks this season uh, from the ends. So that's going to be really vital for uh, Western to get pressure on, especially knowing the situation that they have offensively for Nevada. And that's not to say Nevada is going to lay on their back or nothing. They're definitely going to come out here and fight. There, there's a lot on the there's a lot on the line here for all those players because you're going to have a new coach coming in. You want to show that coaching staff that you belong on this roster and you belong having a starting spot, especially with the early recruiting period having already started. So, yeah, there, there's going to be a lot to play for here. Certainly, uh, Western's recent bowl history is pretty spotty. But, you know, Western's recent history is really spotty. So that's just kind of far for the course. It's uh, it's really it's really kind of like a, the Mike Zimmer and Minnesota Vikings situation where it's like you wonder if this is your ceiling Yeah. at this point. And you're, and you're looking for something to tell you whether you've hit the ceiling or whether there's still more to go. And I think however this game ends will determine a lot of the narrative for Western moving forward. I, I totally agree. And, you know, I, I say this, I feel like I say this every week on the pod, James, where Western Michigan, if, if you just looked at some of their statistics and some of their metrics, right, 15th in the country in total offense, 26th in the country in total defense, 18th in the country in passing defense, 25th in the country in rushing offense, all of these metrics would point to a team that should be competing for a MAC championship. And yet they're seven and five, you know? And so it's, as you mentioned, they, they don't seem, it seems like they've hit their ceiling and they can't get past that. They have so much talent on this team and yet they, they can't get over that hump. It feels like every year under Tim Wester, it's like seven wins is, is the maximum. Seven wins is like the pinnacle for them. And so to bring that back to this game, this feels like a game that they should win. But so did that Eastern Michigan game. So did the Toledo game this year. So did the Central Michigan game this year. I thought those were all games that this team should and could win. Same with Ball State. You could say that about a lot of games that Western Michigan lost this year. And, you know, with Nevada, even without Carson Strong, this is still a team with a lot of firepower. You mentioned uh, Toa Taua, the running back. He's averaging five yards a carry. He has five rushing yards on the uh, five rushing touchdowns on the season. This is a really good receiving core. I mean, you have Romeo Dubes, 100, you know, uh, excuse me, a thousand yard receiver, 11 touchdowns. Cole Turner, their tight end, fantastic tight end, 677 yards, 10 touchdowns there, great tor- target in the red zone. Tory Horton, another good uh, wide receiver. Melquan Stovall, another. I mean, they have you have you have four receivers on this team, including Cole Turner, the tight end, that have over 50 catches and over 600 receiving yards. I mean, this is a very balanced offense, and this Western Michigan defense for as good as they've been at times, they have been prone to giving up the big play. They have, uh, you know, seven touchdowns. Oh, this year sorry. That they've given up. Yeah. The seven touchdowns this year that they've given up over 30 yards. And so even without Carson strong, if their defense isn't able to get pressure on the quarterback, if their defense isn't able to create turnovers, they are very susceptible to that. And so that's what worries me. If I'm a Western Michigan fan, I think talent wise, 
even with Carson Strong, I think these two teams talent-wise are pretty similar. Without Carson Strong, Western Michigan definitely has the talent advantage in this game. But you could have said that, you know, of the five games that they lost this year, you could probably say that in four of them that they had the talent advantage and they weren't able to they weren't able to utilize exactly that that. exactly like if we're talking about how silly it is uh western season this year their only mac west win was against niu in the last week of the season yeah because they lost to the other four and yeah. their other three mac wins were their crossover games with uh with the eastern division it's why they were it's why we thought that maybe they would have a chance at winning the mac west was because they got they got the most favorable draw of all of the east teams pretty much and then yeah. like from there they were the most balanced team but i think at this point like vegas has kind of caught up to you know western in yeah. terms of perception versus performance because nevada is a six point favorite in this game the over under is 56. you know this is a nevada team that scores on average 36 points a game and this is a western team that scores on average 30 points a game so if you you know put those two together you should be getting an over under of somewhere like 68 but we're at 56. yeah so that says a lot you know like you know even accounting for the loss of carson strong that line only fell about three or four points mm -hmm. it like over under should be falling really you know like 12 points and that points to a skepticism on the part of western you know like which which western is going to show up here you know, is it going to be is it going to be the ultra aggressive one that you know lights up the scoreboards on offense and gets the stops they need to on defense, or is it going to be the team that shows up and plays scared? You know, where they're you know here's a two yard dunk pass here, three yard dunk pass here, two yard run here punt, you know, and then give up the big play on the other side. Yeah. Uh, uh, the other key, the other key of this game is going to be special teams. Western is by far the worst special teams unit in the country. Yes, they. I mean, they gave up two touchdowns alone to Khalil uh, Pimpleton CMU game, but they gave up more than that this season. I want to say they gave up like somewhere between three and four touchdowns, either in kick or punt return coverage, and they allow a lot of yards in the return game. Like uh, a that that's been part of why they've lost some of these games is because they're allowing teams to pick up possession in favorable territory off of punts and kickoffs. So mm -hmm. you got you got to take that into account too. Their field goal kicking has also been woeful. Yes, they're either at or under five hundred right now as a unit because they've been switching between kickers. Over yeah, there. I think now they have their punter being their kicker and punter, and that still isn't really helping a lot. And so if it comes down to a situation where you have to kick a field goal to win the game, is Western going to be able to do that? That's another inherent advantage that Nevada might have in this game, just having an average special teams unit. Totally agree. Yeah, you look at Western Michigan, they've missed five extra points on the season, 11 for 17 on field goals, two for seven on field goals of 30 yards or more. A 30-yard field goal should not be a, a, a coin flip for a Division One kicker, but for Western Michigan, it has been this year. So certainly agree with you there, James. This is the game. Of all the bowl games we've had got this uh, for the MAC this year, this is the one I have the least – uh, confidence in picking because I never know what I'm getting from Western Michigan, Nevada. You don't know where you're getting because they don't have their head coach or their quarterback. So certainly will be an interesting one here. Again, this one kicks off 11 a.m. on the 27th uh, from Ford Field in Detroit. All right. Last bowl game uh, of the season here to preview 
I know this one's uh, near and dear to your heart, James. Your Central Michigan Chippewas traveling out to Tucson to take on Boise State in the Arizona Bowl. This one kicks off 2 o'clock Eastern on uh, New Year's Eve, Friday the 31st. The Chippewas in this one, a seven-and-a-half-point underdog. Actually looks like it looks like it's up to eight now. Uh, here's the thing. This is, you know, you think about Boise State, you think about those great teams in the early 2000s and 2010s with Chris Peterson and, you know, going to BCS Bowls. This is not that same Boise State team. This team, seven and five on the year, a good defense, but a very, very average offense. You know, Boise State lost a couple of games this year that you would not have expected them to lose. They lost to the aforementioned Nevada team we just talked about, lost to Air Force, lost to San Diego State. Three losses in the Mountain West came in third in their own division in the Mountain West. This certainly feels like a game that the Chippewas can win, James, especially given how they played down the final stretch of the season, winning their last four games. Lou Nichols has been incredible, finished the year as the leading rusher in the FBS, 1,700 yards, 15 touchdowns. Uh, I'll let you take the lead on this one here, James. What do you think about how the Chippewas match up with the Broncos? What do you expect to see in this one? Yeah, so Central Central and Boise, it's a, it, like you said, it is a match that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, my, my sister, my, my half-sister is married to a former Boise State football player. And oh. so I have known about I have known about Boise State for yeah, most most of my life pretty much. So I've always had a uh I've always had half of my heart over there. It's just uh it, so it's one of those games where it's like, yeah, you know, like I I'm pretty happy either way here, honestly. But uh getting back to it, it's really I'm really surprised that Vegas has this as a Boise State favored game uh i believe that they're currently a yeah seven and a half point favorite right now over under 55 and a half considering you know their performances uh the way that it looks for this particular boise state team they have to get going early like i'm looking at this form table they won for their last five their last loss was to san diego state but they let san diego state back into that one i watched that game because i was really curious about it. it was the mountain west championship game i think it came on like just after centrals did or maybe it was before, or not Central's, but before the Mac. Might have been at the same time. Anyway, I watched it. And Boise got to a really big lead early in that game and then just kind of kind of let San Diego State back in it. And then San Diego State ended up just dominating it from there. But looking at the form table, 37 nothing, 23-13, 40-14 against number 23 Fresno, 28-19. Like, this is a team that really has to get going early in order to win games and central is a team that gets off of slow starts. Uh, we've seen it several times in the first quarter. They typically look a little disjointed on offense, especially and defense can feels like it's adjusting in game to what the opponent is providing. But really the second and third quarters tend to be pretty vital for central. Like the second quarter, especially is where they're really kind of just turn it on and make those adjustments and score in bunches we saw it in the game against western we saw it in the game against Penn state we saw it in the game against ball state we saw it in the game against emu they get off of these slow starts and then they just kind of figure it out in that second half of the game that second and third quarter so then by the fourth quarter you've already established you know this big lead and at that point you're asking the other team to come up and get at you and Central is able to do that because they have a top five offense and a top 
half offense or defense in the match. Like we're talking like a number, I think the second or third best offensive unit, and I think the sixth or fifth best defensive unit. Yeah. In the league, you know, several first team and second team all max selections on both sides of the ball. Uh, but yeah, so Boise State's uh, Boise State will have to get going early and often in order to beat Central, because like I said, Lou Nichols, uh, he's the leading rusher in the NCAA right now. He has not gone under a hundred yards in the last six or seven weeks, something like that. Not since that Miami game where he had twenty-one yards. Like that that's first, second, third, and underlying right there if you're Boise State. You want to make sure that yeah. guy doesn't really touch the ball a lot at all. But if you do stop him, you still have to deal with three really good receivers, you know, on the outside. You have Daniel Richardson, who's one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the Mid-American Conference. And he's going to be passing the ball to Khalil Templeton, who's legit, again, another legit NFL prospect. Ja'Cory Sullivan, who also might be a free agent prospect in the NFL. And they have Dallas Dixon, who for a while was the touchdowns leader, especially in that early part of the season. And uh, the emergence of Joel Wilson as the tight end has really opened up a lot of what Central can do in the middle of the field as well. So they're not lacking for options, certainly, when it comes to this uh, bowl game and this offense. And then defensively, the return of Troy Brown to the linebacker position has really helped shore up Central's defense. There is a part in the start of the conference season where they were a bit injured on that side of the ball. And it was evident, especially against Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois made that big comeback. And when Toledo made that big comeback, those were games where Troy Brown was either injured or didn't play. But just having him back there to provide coverage in the middle of the field has been really helpful for Central in that aspect. And then also uh, Central switched to a three-safety look this year. So they're able to... So, so, they, so they're more balanced on the passing side of the ball as well as being able to send in that extra rusher in, you know, into a pass rush situation as well without losing anything in the back end. So Central has certainly made adjustments this year. They learned from last year's mistakes when they went three and three. And, you know, if one game goes differently, we might be talking about a Mac camp and Central Michigan team. So like this is a team that is in tip-top shape and looking to prove something. You know, yeah, after a season yeah. that didn't quite go to plan, and you you can't you can't discount that, even if uh, Vegas says that Boise is a favorite team, and they're going to say that Boise is a favorite team because they're from the Mountain West, and the Mountain West is regarded as a better conference. And to be frank, they've had some very good performances, so I can see why it would be that way. But yeah, it it's going to be a situation where the team that makes the right adjustment or comes in with the right game plan at the right time ends up winning this game and you know color me biased or whatever but i think central will have a pretty good plan going into this one so i'd like to get your thoughts i think um i i agree with most of everything that you said you know you look at this you know boise state decent defense but they they're giving up almost 160 rush yards per game so i i do feel as if you know their central mission is going to be able to get lou nichols going in this one Want to get your opinion on one thing though? If I if I was a Central Michigan fan, right? If I'm in your shoes, I think the matchup in this game that does concern me a little bit is that Hank Bachmeyer and this this you know Boise State passing attack they they have proven themselves to be pretty capable. I mean Bachmeyer three thousand yards this year, 
uh, 20 touchdowns, only eight interceptions. You look at the Central Michigan secondary, 117th in the FBS in pass defense, giving up almost 267 yards per game through the air. This Central Michigan secondary, you got you know, Devonnie Reed, Gage Kresge, Dante Kent, these guys on the back end. Do you feel like the Chippewas are up to the task and can match up with this Boise State passing attack? Because, again, if I was a Central Michigan fan going in this game, that's the matchup that would concern me. Now, that, I mean, I might be speaking a little high and mighty here, but, you know, a lot of the a lot of those stats are reflective of the early portion of the CMU season where sure. there are a good handful of injuries, especially in that secondary. You know, uh, Dante, Kent, I gave Dante Kent a lot of shit in the start of the season because he was just allowing, you know, receiver after receiver to get behind him, like especially the FIU being extremely frustrating to see number 19 giving up another pass, you know, down in coverage, another touchdown down in coverage. But credit to him, he really stepped up in the second portion of the season. I think he had like eight or nine pass breakups, I think, in the last three games alone to be able to seal wins. And, you know, he had some interceptions that were called back as well. So, like, it's, it, isn't, it isn't like he's just an absolute sieve anymore. And like I said, like, They've really buckled down. Like they've buckled down their pre- in their past coverage recently, and that and that has shown itself in you know in certain games. Like especially in the Western game, it really showed itself. They were able to get the reads down on that Western Michigan offense, you know that RPO look, and really force them to try and run the ball to success. You know, uh, Kent State they managed to limit the damage in that one too from a passing ability, and then Eastern they simply dominated Eastern in the passing game. And, yeah. you know, once you take the passing game away from Eastern, they don't really have a lot left. So, you know, the, the back end has cleaned up. I think it's finally, they've finally gotten past those growing pains. Like the first part of the season was growing pains for that defensive backfield. And you would, you start to wonder like, well, why is McElwain, you know, putting these guys out here and not, you know, like pulling them out for performance if they're giving up, you know, both, you know, both corners giving up over a hundred yards, you know, each in those games. And it, we're seeing the benefit of that now. Like they're, they're realizing, oh, this is how I have to play this. You know, when this is happening in this game situation, you know, Dante Ken is a lot more confident, you know, being able to stick around and knowing the edge of what is a penalty and what is not a penalty. And then you have Day Day Hill. He's a big, he's a big heavy hitter of a corner who, who's, you know, really physical and is able to you know, win fights with those receivers and get into the backfield as a defensive blitzer in the game against Easter. And there was a sack that he had on Ben Bryant. He'd hear the pads pop from like the living room, like the one that was like, oh, <laughs> like where you saw what was going to happen and you knew right away that that was going to be a big hit. Just a complete blind side hit. You know, you hear that smack. You're like, yeah, that's a big hit. I, I, I think. McElwain's confidence in playing those corners and making them go through those mistakes has really helped them out in the last couple of weeks. And you could, you've seen it in the, in the box scores and results. And I have confidence that they'll be okay in this game too. And if they lose, well, whatever, you know, they still played really good at the back end of the season. And, you know, it's an exhibition game that ultimately doesn't really mean anything except for a trophy. So yeah. it is what it is. And, you know, maybe, Maybe potentially this will be enough time for Deshaun McNary to come back from his knee injury. We'll have to see uh, the one that he suffered back against FIU. And if he comes back, that's another great piece that they have. He was a great cover corner prior to his injury. So yeah, there's a lot to be optimistic for 
in the central defense because like the defense being able to step up in the second half of the season was part of why central was so successful at the end of the season because the offense was always there the offense was always there it was the matter of defense and once the defense figured it out everybody else figured it out it's a great point and i i think your point is well taken in terms of this defense playing much better the last uh you know three weeks you look back all the way to, i mean even that western michigan game western michigan and kent state you give up 30 points in each of those games but still defense played much better and then ball state and eastern michigan two very good defensive performances for the chippewas to end the year there so uh certainly some momentum for central michigan going into those this uh bowl game against boise state uh and then, again this one kicks off new year's eve at uh 2 p.m eastern out in tucson in the barstool sports arizona bowl so all right, folks. So that'll wrap it up for us here this week on the Mac Bandwagon Podcast. We'll be back next week uh, picking up on basketball again. Wanted to focus on the bowl games this week and get that out here to you. So, James, thank you so much for stopping by and pinch hitting this week. Appreciate you uh, coming in and, and talking uh, Mac the Max Bowls with us this year. Again, eight Mac Bowl games this year, a league record. Uh, we'll be back next week again. We'll, we, we'll recap some of the bowl games, get back into uh, some hoops talk. And uh, we look forward to talking to you then. So enjoy all the bowl games. Enjoy the, the, the time of the year. Have a great weekend. And we'll see you back here again next Friday.